As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Well, hello and welcome to another one of our special off-season Formula E podcast from the race. I'm your host Andrew Vanderberg, and joining me is our usual guest, Formula E writer Sam Smith. And this week, we're delighted to be joined by Nissan returnee Oliver Rowland. Uh, he needs a little introduction, but he's the winner of the 2020 Berlin E Prix and the man who's taken four pole positions. Uh, and we're really lucky uh, to be having him because he's not long uh, just got married to your uh, new wife, Lauren. So congratulations and um, thank you for taking the time out of your newly wedded bliss to join us. Thank you very much. You're more than welcome. So uh, let's crack into uh, the show. Obviously, you've uh, gone back to to Nissan. You've been there for a, a month or so now. How uh, does it feel like putting on a, a comfortable pair of old shoes, or are things a little bit different to when you were there before? I absolutely does. You know, I think. I mean, clearly things are, are different to when I was there before. There's new people. There's there's new things, but the same the same vibe is there. The excitement from my side to their side, their side to my side is there. Um, yeah, for sure. There's 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 many small changes, but um, yeah, it's pretty exciting for me. I, I mean, you say I've been there a month, but I kind of knew quite early on towards the end of last year that, that, that I was going there. So I'd been also there before Rome and things like that. So I'd I'd had a little bit to do at the end of the season. And then obviously the guys needed a bit of time off. But yeah, the, the last month's been the, the first proper month, I would say. Yeah, we can't uh, not talk about uh, last season. Uh, quite a strange one for you, parting company uh, with Mahindra mid-season. That that must have been quite uh, quite tough uh, situation to go through. But you're through onto the other side now. Yeah, very tough actually. I mean, um, it was a pretty stressful period. Um, obviously, I think any driver doesn't ever want to stop mid-season. Um, but I had a choice to make for the, for I guess for my own future, for how I balanced out how things were going to pan out over the next say, eighteen months, and I had a pretty, um, a pretty strong choice to make. One that I made, um, of course, it was difficult to sit out, but one that now I sit here pretty content with the one that I've made and uh, looking forward to the new challenge. Sam, what what did you make of it? Obviously, a uh, keen observer when and. Uh you know, a sort of acknowledged fan of, uh, of Oliver's uh, abilities. Did, did you see the writing on the wall, the way things were going at Mahindra? Well, you, you can often tell from a driver's demeanour and body language uh, how happy they are. And, and Oliver was 
clearly not happy. Neither was his teammate Lucas Degrassi, and obviously they had good reason not to be with the the equipment they had and the, the long season ahead of them. And um, the presumption was that that you know Oliver was was likely to be as part of his deal, um, likely to be with Mahindra for for twenty three as well. Sorry, twenty four. So you know it's clear a decision had to be made for the greater good of his career and um, and his prospects in Formula E. So it was no major surprise when, um, to me anyway, that, that he decided to go an alternative route and it was back to Nissan. So, you know, from the sense of being competitive, which is what drivers want and need, then uh, I'm sure it was a, in some ways a difficult decision because I know he had some some really good um, some good contacts there and some strong a strong team with him in terms of the, his side of the garage, but... In another way, it would have been not too difficult because obviously racing drivers want to be competitive. So looking at the discrepancy in what Nissan and and Mahindra could deliver, certainly last season, and with the two-year homologation cycle, which was probably key to a lot of the decisions made by Oliver and his his management uh, team, Uh, Steve Hewitt. Hello, Steve. Um, You know, I think that's probably, you know, the the obvious choice in a sense going back to somewhere he knows and somewhere where he can he can fight for podiums and more so you know we saw from Nissan last season that it can achieve that and um yeah from from what from what I'm hearing they're they're looking to kick on again for for 24 and, and achieve a bit more so Oliver Sam says there we're in the middle of a homologation period here which means there's nothing massive that can be done, but what have uh, Nissan been able to convince you is possible for this uh, coming season? Well, I think already the end of last season, you know, uh, I mean, especially from from Nissan's perspective, the the season ended strong. You know, Norman had some good races. I mean, Sasha was always fast the the whole season. You know, if if you can add some small details to that already, the the performance that was already there, I think it was already pretty strong and pretty positive. So. It's not really a case of what we can add this season. It's it's more what we can build on the small details. I think, you know, between us, McLaren, um, Bird coming into McLaren, um, bring in some knowledge from Jaguar, bring in some of my knowledge from my previous experience, um, and really been able to piece all those little bits together. I think we can make a um, a strong, decent step. And then I think the ultimate focus for all of us is really season eleven, where where we know um, what's in the pipeline. We're pretty confident pretty positive with what's coming so if we can make all the fine details right now i think um you know things look very good for the next um the next stint as well so nissan and uh the sister company renault have been uh, a big part of formerly e right from the beginning obviously had a lot of success especially uh in gen one you mentioned uh you know the the, the next uh phase there but for uh, a, a team with its history it's it's not really used to n- not having success like this. so can you sense that hunger and desire there to really get back to running at the front absolutely i think um it, it was always there really i think um there was a little bit of a strange transition period when dams and nissan kind of nissan took over the team from dams i think there was a transition period but when i was there before you know we finished second in the constructors in season six um we had a very strong year um, you know, it's always been full of competitive people, you know, engineers that are really at a, a very high level, to be honest, and the amount of detail that they go into and all that sort of stuff. And it's nice to see coming back after that post-transfer, um, let's say, um, that that's still there and they've still got top guys and hungry guys. And, you know, you, you can really feel that there's an energy there that 
you know, everybody knows where we stand. We've got a good roadmap. And um, yeah, I think it's it's actually pretty exciting, actually. And it would, and I'm sure it's going to be, it's going to feel good when we're back on the top step. Sam Oliver makes quite a convincing argument there. Do you do you see that? Do you see that, um, that Nissan, are, for want of a better phrase, a bit of a sleeping giant in in Formula E terms? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, they've had they've had a fair few quiet seasons, let's call them. I thought last season was um, promising, um, but you know, as we talked about before, the the two year homologation system cycle that they have makes it difficult to to get big leaps in performance for for the second year of that so but I think they showed enough last season don't forget Sasha Fenestras was a rookie Um, and in terms of what they produced later on in the season particularly and ironically um, in terms of who got the points the big points at the end Norman Nato who Oliver's replacing you know I think particularly in Rome um, he was uh, he was challenging for the lead he had a nibble at Jake Dennis didn't he so you know he could have ended up winning that race although Dennis had it under control in the second phase so that must give Nissan quite a lot of confidence in terms of what they have with that car uh, and I know certainly they've been recruiting they've got um, they've got Teo Guzan who was the as we know as the Mr. Spark really that the guy who brought the entire operational technical um, side of Formula E to the fore in the first two and a half and, and a bit of the Gen 3 phase of Formula E. Um, and they've made some other appointments too. So they've, they've, got a, they've got a strengthened team. And I think with Oliver and Sasha, we, we just, by the time this goes out, it's going to be published. We've actually ranked all of the driving strength or the, the, the squad uh, driving squads in Formula E, so it'd be interesting to see what some make of that because obviously it's um, subjective to some degree. But certainly from my perspective, Fenestras and, and Oli um, is an extremely strong uh, pair of drivers there. So they, they've got they've kind of got all of the uh, attributes and all of the um, all of the capabilities that they need to make a really strong season next year and I actually think that they'll they'll hit the ground running and I think they could be the team which is quite noticeably uh, improved upon from a pace perspective certainly over a race pace as well we saw that they had single lap pace last season with those two poles that Sasha Fenestra has got although one of them was taken taken off him for a power spike at Monaco but when you put that into context of a, of a rookie achieving that then um, yeah there's there's a lot to say that they are a sleeping giant um, they are one of the biggest if not the biggest OEM in the championship in terms of what they do in automotive on the automotive landscape so yeah i see them as a real force um next season and as ollie mentioned you know i think for internally they're going to be communicating more for for season 11 and 25 but you know i don't see why next season that they can't get a, a you know another bunch of podiums and potentially a win when the jags and porsche have powered cars that are not quite at their game or circumstances allow so yeah i i, I just sense a sort of real momentum of positivity um with the team heading into 24 so oliver you had the uh i guess unique perspective of watching the second half of the season on the tv but knowing that you would be coming back into a race seat uh for, for this season probably not uh an experience you'd would choose to have but is it giving you a different perspective of the races were you able to learn anything by being uh, outside the cockpit as it were yeah absolutely I mean um, 
yes, yeah, it's, it's quite a different perspective. You know, when you get to watch the races live and you get to see it from quite a few different perspectives, it gives you a, a much bigger overview. I think it's a little bit different when you compete in the race and you watch it back afterwards because there's an element of knowing already partially what happened. Whereas when you're able to watch it from the outside and kind of overview what's happening in certain scenarios with different drivers and try and read what's going on, I think it's quite valuable. Um, the, the racing in Formula certainly changed a lot throughout last year. You know, in the beginning of the year, it was in Mexico, for example, it was a very much a Gen 2 race where you kind of did your targets from the beginning and did your optimal race. You know, as the season went on, the slipstream effect became abundantly clear that it was having a, you know, a massive effect on on energy consumption and, and people were playing games. And then, you know, towards the end of the season, we saw manufacturers working together to either take attack mode mid-race or protect themselves from dropping back too far. Um, and these kind of cycling effect races, which for me is actually, as a driver, is very, very interesting. Um I think as a driver, you have to make the decisions in the moment. It's very difficult for a team on the outside to give you those instructions and, and how to manage those races because they're, they're simply changing all the time. So, yeah, I think sitting sitting aside and watching from afar was was pretty valuable. And, and I hope that I learned something to, to bring into next year, I guess. It's interesting you said, um, you know, from a driver's perspective that, that you enjoy that sort of pack race. And what, how did you like enjoy it from a spectator's perspective because it's quite it can be quite hard to follow everything that's going on because there's just so much of it i mean it depends which race you're talking about right i think if you if you look at some situations like portland for example where it was just literally like eight abreast on the straight nobody wants to lead i think there's an element where it's a little bit too much but um in other races where you know there's there's a pack of five or six that are really you, you can see how they're working. And the race I was actually involved in was Monaco, where, you know, strategically they pulled the pin for two laps, got their attack modes done, and then they were out of trouble, you know. I, I did my attack mode, double attack mode quite early on and was able to drop back into the pack and then ended up having a crash. So there's an element of, like, how, how that strategy is working out. I do think, obviously, knowing the championship, it's a bit easier for me to follow, so it's a bit hard to comment on on exactly how it is for the public to follow. No, it's interesting um, seeing it like that. When watching you, you're going, what are you doing that for? It doesn't make any sense. Or, you know, do you not get that emotionally involved? A little bit. You know, I'm pretty close with Jake. And obviously I was supporting him towards the end of the season with the championship. So, you know, there was, there was occasions when it was like, obviously, wow, it's going to happen. And then occasions where it's like, wow, what's going on? You know, and in the last race with him fighting and against like six or seven other cars and kind of been on his own was a... You know, you know, quite an interesting one to watch, especially from from the outside. Yeah, one of the, the more interesting one was the way that teammates were coming into play, and they were trying to use them to to block off and whatnot, which ultimately uh, Envision didn't quite uh, make it work. You've got a new teammate uh, for this coming season. Um, how are you and Sasha getting on so far? So far, so good. We've spent probably five, six days at the sim, a couple of media events. Uh, we get on very well. Um, he seems pretty relaxed. Um, to be honest, when we've been there, we've both kind of done our own programs at the moment. Um, he's got his own targets to focus on whilst I'm still getting up to speed with all the new systems and stuff like that. You know, he's he's trying to focus on some of his weaknesses from last year. But um, yeah, so far we get on very well. Um, you know, as the older driver for the first time, there's a responsibility to kind of pave the way a little bit. But I have a, already a lot of respect for his speed um reminds me a little bit of myself when I first joined the championship um so hopefully you know together we can kind of help each other 
um, move forward as a team and, and really motivate the team and, and bring a fun atmosphere to them as well. That's that's an interesting point, actually, Ollie. I mean, I, we've spoken before about your time as a teammate to uh, Seb Buemi and, and obviously with Lucas briefly last year and, and how drivers just kind of absorb a lot of that experience. And, and you seem to be one of those drivers that, that, that utilises that, that actually, you know, that you can store that a bit for for other other pursuits you know later on in your career is is that what you get you know are you sort of um are you conscious of doing that with with more experienced drivers that you race with yeah absolutely i think you know it was clear from the moment that we started having discussions especially with, with nissan and things that you know it was clear that coming into this role there would be a certain element of responsibility and that's something that like you mentioned i've had a a lot to do with you know i was very very fortunate especially in the early days with seb how welcoming he was how um helpful he was when days went badly you know because it, it's normal and these things happen i mean i spoke spoken about it a lot before but um you know and and being there in that situation really can help somebody go from almost like being on a low to rock bottom or to bouncing them back up to to being being on a high so um it's very important, and and I'm not I'm, I'm not silly, you know. I real I recognise in this championship we mentioned previously about teammates helping each other at the front, you know, and and re- realistically, if you really want to compete in Formula E, you have to have a teammate that's there to fight your corner on certain days, and it may be biting the bullet and fighting their corner on another day. But um, you know, if you can get four cars working together, I think that's incredible. But if you can get two alone, I mean, we saw at the last round in London tensions for sure rose and you know there was a little bit of what I would say people not following the rules exactly um going on in the last race but um I think if you can on on your off days maybe fight that their corner and also help them in ways off the track and things like that it can come to your benefit as well um another point one of the things about formally is that there really isn't a massive amount of uh, testing away from the races there's four days coming up at Valencia and I suspect you're going to get a few private days is that right I mean how much uh how much hard work is there going to be in there and, and what's the main priorities once you get in the car yes yeah, so obviously the the sim's pretty useful these days but um yeah as you mentioned testing's quite limited um I haven't driven since Monaco so I'm, I guess I'll be a little bit rusty but I'm actually flying tomorrow to a test um for Thursday so um yeah, looking forward to getting back in the car. We've ran the program on the simulator. We know what we want to do. Obviously, a lot of it is development items and, and, and things that we need to improve and implement and things like that. But it will also give me an opportunity to work with my my new race engineer, who's fresh also to formally on a, on a race engineer inside and, 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 and another performance engineer as well. So I'm going to have to really build my team and, and it will give me the chance to do that on, on this day on on Thursday um then obviously moving on you know we'll be doing plenty of sim before Valencia and between Valencia and and, and the first race but yeah t- time in the car is is quite um rare but I also quite like that you know there's an element that people can't be driving around every day of the week and you're almost missing out um you know you have to be at a certain level to not drive the car very often and, and turn up and perform and for me that's where the the, the top guys earn their money right um, you see it in Formula One, they get so much practice before they actually go out and qualifying that sometimes it's like, where would the level of drivers be if they had half an hour and then just went straight out on a street circuit, you know? Oh, it's always fascinating the way the, the races are better when there's the practice sessions are rained off and they only have a short amount of time to get the car sorted. It's always just makes the order much more interesting. Well, absolutely. You know, you have the teams that aren't in the window 
you have the drive some of the drivers that aren't quite in the window and then you have a team that maybe can't perform on certain weekends when everything's perfect that get everything in the window and makes it a little bit more exciting so i'm all i'm all for the the limited testing and and, and ability and talent outshining laps and and yeah practice uh, it's looking like we're going to have fast charging pit stops uh next season uh, is this something that they've been able to put into the simulator or is this uh, something you're going to have to wait to uh, for our on-track testing to practice? Yeah, we have been able to, I mean, there's certain things that you have to, 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 to do during these fast charging stuff. We still haven't finalized exactly how we're going to optimize everything, but, um, you know, thinking about how we're going to enter the pits, do the pit stop, um, you know, communicate that between the team to be as efficient as possible in terms of a time um, is something that we've already discussed. Um, and everything's pretty much in in the way to to be ready there. But yeah, I, I I'm not sure exactly how that's going to go. Um, I don't think the rules are fully finalised yet, and it's a little bit um, it's a little bit strange how it's going to work. Whether everybody's just going to box on one lap, you know, from a from a strategic point of view, it's not very clear that it's going to bring much to the race at the moment. Um, but we'll see how they tweak it and how it works. Yeah, that was going to be my follow up questions. I think it might be deployed but probably too early to be able to say so yeah from what i've heard at the moment it's a bit of a strange one it'll be a certain amount of laps or percentage of sock before you can box but then it wouldn't make sense to really stay out too long because then you just put yourself at risk of a safety car which completely ruin your race then there's also the element i think with the pit stop timing on some circuits where you could fall back a lap if you were mid-pack and then a safety car, if that came at that point, you know, it could be a little bit strange. You know, there's a few scenarios with the timing where I think things can be a little bit vague. But, um, yeah, that's not down to us, I guess. That's just um, what, what we've seen at the moment in, in terms of, like, timing and how things might, might fall out in the race. And almost we want to avoid looking a bit silly as well, right? Hey, absolutely. Sam, sounds like there's a little bit of work behind the scenes needs to be uh, done on fettling the rules there. Yeah, sounds like there's going to be some jeopardy from all different angles for this new rule. I mean, first of all, the 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 philosophy of it is is sound, is is good. It fits in with what um, you know where EVs are positioned presently to have a, a rapid charging or a fast charging element to it. That the the problem is is Ollie touched on it is that a lot of the tracks and, and circuits that Formula E race on are quite. Are quite small um so the the jeopardy being that you could go a lap down and you know even if you don't if there are initially botched pit stops or there's difficulties you know we're so used to formula e being ultra close incredibly incredibly exciting entertainment a totally different way of racing which was extenuated last season with this this new form of of tactical racing and all of a sudden we've got this new um this new curveball that the teams have to get their heads around and and i think there is a real risk that it could break up the the close nature of racing on some circuits i'm sure that some races it will work fine but it's all going to be about the windows of when you can pit and 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 how that whole infrastructure takes place we don't know yet as Ollie said, it's been it's been finalised, or certainly isn't public yet. Anyway, I think we'll we'll get a you know a, a significant light will be swung over the whole the whole topic of this at Valencia, where they're going to do some uh, simulations of races, and and so I'm sure that we'll have the familiar um, dummy races that they have usually at Valencia during pre-season testing, and that's going to tell us quite a lot. At the same time, 
you know, Valencia is quite a long track in terms of what Formula E is used to. So we won't get a real gauge of if there is that jeopardy of going to lap down. But look, you know, we have to trust the FIA to some extent on this. Then they have their own simulation department and they have their own their own way of simulating these these races. And I know that that has been that has been used quite exhaustively for the past five six months or so since the 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 knock on the delay of getting this infrastructure in place because let's not forget it was supposed to come in in 2023 and then was delayed through through various issues um but it's it's got to be up and running for for next season for the first race been in january so they have they have four days of running at valencia to try and understand how this can work and i'm pretty sure knowing how the fia views formula and it always has done to some extent that it is an, an evolutionary thing so i I'm, I'm not sure that there will be a defined set of regulations until um and between valencia and, and mexico when they digest what they've learned at valencia and i think that's quite sensible really i don't think they should stick their flag in the ground and and have a a set regulation but equally the teams obviously need to know you know what they're what they're running to so it's a fine balance but i think that period between valencia and, and mexico will be crucial in understanding how it will work and i expect a few tweaks to come on it even after valencia but uh, yeah let's let's wait and see like i said it's it's a good idea but i think it has to be managed correctly um to make sure that we don't lose this you know usp of formula e being you know anything but a dud you know we never get a dud race really or we get one a season i mean in circumstances yeah we won't bring up uh, xl final race we'll no well that, that 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 was so dull that it should it should be it should be deleted from uh, everyone's mystery. memory really which <laughs> But, you know, they, they were different circumstances, wet track and, and visibility and offline and not being able to use the power, etc. But I think, you know, one or two races a season are, 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 is 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 the norm, really, when they're not as exciting as, as we're used to. So I hope that we don't lose that. And I don't think Formula E can afford to lose that because that's its key strength. Um, there's always multiple talking points after each EPRI and we've got to keep that. Okay, Ollie. Before we uh, let you go, and uh, we know that it's really twenty twenty five that's the target here. But what does a good season look like for you in twenty four? I guess a good season would to be grab a couple of podiums, be consistently in the duels, and make good progress throughout the season. Um, an excellent season would be to to take a win, a um, few more podiums, and and kind of push Nissan into the to top four or five in the teams championship. I guess. Well, we wish you all the best with that. Look forward to seeing how it plays out. Um, Thank you very much for joining us, uh, Oliver Rowland. Thank you. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. 
Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, having rattled through part one quicker than the man in white, Kirk Stevens, on one of his uh, enhanced breaks, uh, we're back for any other business, Sam. A few bits of news for us to discuss, not least um, Ollie's old teammate, Lucas Degrassi, who's been confirmed at App Cooper, uh, a move that we'd heralded uh, probably twice before, I think, but it's been confirmed now. The logical move all round. Yeah, not the biggest surprise in the world. Um, return of the prodigal son, or however you want to uh, frame it. I uh, spoke to Lucas um, just before he was officially announced as going back to App Cooper or Apt. Um, he, yeah, he was he was fairly relaxed actually. He, he was at Harvard, which um, you know, obviously Lucas DeGrassi in his downtime obviously goes to Harvard for a week or two weeks, whatever, uh, to do some intensive courses. But uh, it was quite interesting speaking to him there. He, he seemed happy, you know, I think he was, um, it was clear a bit like Oliver uh, in terms of last season that, that he wasn't happy. I think that was quite natural. And I, what I was quite a little bit surprised about was the fact that there, there was always talk that he might be going on to a management position or might be fast-tracked into some kind of senior management position with Mahindra. I think that was the original idea when he signed the deal. But of course, he signed the deal with a different person. He signed it with Dilbag Gill back in 2022. So that um, that wasn't going to pan out the way that he thought it would. Um, and I, I, it seemed reasonably cordial. Um, I'm sure that there were some some fraught negotiations and getting out of contracts is, is never an easy thing to do, but that's what transpired. Um, as we knew Nick, and talked about in the last episode, Nick DeVries and Eduardo Mortara and now at Mahindra and Lucas Degrassi only had one seat to take. I mean, there, there was no choice for him, but I, actually I don't think it was a... That that was a a big a big subjective thing within within that decision. I think that it, it probably would have been his choice anyway before all the other seats had been taken. I'm, I I don't know that he talked to other teams in in serious depth. I think it was always likely to be apt. And the irony being that he's in exactly the same car, um, so there could be yes. some pain in twenty four as well. And I pushed him a bit. You can read this on on the hyphen race.com about his future. He'll be forty next year, so he's the, the, the sort of the, the elder statesman of Formula E now that Andre Lotterer has has concentrated on endurance racing. So the interesting thing is what Lucas might do in twenty five. You know, I think if he has a if he has a fighting season next year, and there are some improvements um, that Apt can enforce, and we did see some, didn't we, at the end of. Last season, Nico Muller especially got some really good performances out. There's no reason that he couldn't accrue as many or if not more points than he did last season at the, oh, at the I, factory He's going to be absolutely out to beat the Mahindras. It's he, like, no, I can yeah. see him having a, a, a really, you know. I mean, he's not going to he's not going to win a race, is he? This, this is, that's out of possibilities. But I can see him being a regular top 10 finisher. Yeah, I think, I think it could be a really good story not a headline story but one to watch next season how Degrassi and, and not just Degrassi but how Mahindra and Apt start um start getting competitive with each other we, we you know they were so far back last season it, it was it was really a non-story but there's a little bit of extra needle I guess a natural needle in the fact that, that Lucas has gone to Apt 
And I think actually it could be quite an interesting story to see who comes out on top there because I, I you know, it frankly looks very unlikely that Apt will stay with Mahindra as a, as a customer team for the Evo era of, of Gen 3. I, I just don't well, see that Well, they've not really done anything to sell themselves to them, have they? You know, it's... The- no, and I, and I, you know, I think there's got to be better options, right? I think it's inevitable that they'll they'll go elsewhere. I mean, the, the, I don't think it's any secret to say that they've been talking with 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 Porsche, and that that could become a reality. It's all dependent on whether they can service three teams. Obviously, they've got their, their factory team and, and Andretti, and then a third team. I don't see why they can't do it, but it but it is a challenge nevertheless. So, yeah, I think that's a that's a, a good plot line next season. From Degrassi's point of view, I think he still hankers after that potential management opportunity. And, and where better to do that than, than Apt? Mm. He wouldn't be pushed on that in the future for himself. But, you know, I... You know, Hans Jürgen, he is he is obviously he is Mister Apt and he is there and he does come to races. But Thomas Biermeier now is the is the CEO of that of that company, and I think from what I see, he and he and Lucas are very close and always have been, and they've yes. tasted success yeah. together. It seems almost natural that that Lucas would be part of that entity going forward more more than a driver but you know he's not made a decision yet I think he wants to see how next season goes and if we, if we get the fighting Lucas which we generally always get then you know I can see him having a uh, an improved season than he's than he's had at Mahindra in 23. Yeah I'd, I'd go along with that and I'm really looking forward to uh, to seeing him do that and it's that sort of graduation to to management there but just seems it seems more logical him doing that than than at Mahindra, right? Because he, he's been part of that family there for a, a generation almost. So, uh, yeah. Well, it's yeah. time to roll out the Sam's calendar update jingle because we've got a calendar update, probably, potentially, maybe, with some stars. <laughs> Sam's calendar update. Do I get royalties for that jingle? It's about time I, I got my people on that one. But um, yeah, this this is this is gonna this is now be gonna become a saga. I think I think um, there's a lot of furrow brows and there's a lot of meetings going on at, at Hammersmith um, Formula E operations trying to put this calendar together. They they have to the likes of which haven't been seen since some ne'er do well at the beginning of an episode of Minder was uh, you know plotting. <laughs> Yeah, some some smoke filled rooms. Yeah, I think I think there's there's a there's there's a lot of issues to iron out with the calendar. It's it's ever thus, isn't it? We we talk about this every season, and I think to to just caveat it with Formula E is unique in the sense that putting together one of these calendars is extremely challenging on lots of levels, politically, logistically, um, just just getting the the framework of a of a calendar and trying to get some consistency is just almost impossible to do with racing on predominant predominantly racing on street tracks so lots of um i think there's there's been lots of patience and sympathy with the team that puts that in place however this is now a decade old championship and they i think the bigger picture is looking at the model of what 
races should be in Formula E. And, you know, I'm, I'm not suggesting I have an answer. And, you know, if I did, I'd be working as a consultant and, and solving some problems. But it's much deeper than that. It's not just getting deals with cities or getting deals with promoters and, and putting putting these races on. There is so much more to it. At the same time, it is frustrating, I know, to the teams and manufacturers that, you know, it could be that we get to the tail end of this year and don't know where some of the races are going to be next year because I'm not convinced, and from what I hear, a lot of the deals to put it put these races on are not are not completely nailed on. What do we know? Well, we we've got the provisional calendar, and by the time this podcast goes out, there'll be only a week until the next iteration, which should be the the final calendar, which is submitted to the World Motorsport Council um, on the nineteenth of October. Where do we stand? Well, we know it's going to start off in Mexico City. Um, Diria in Riyadh is going to host a double header the end of January. Those are, as far as I know, are completely nailed on, and there are no issues. When we get well, to neither fe- of those are really reliant on you know local politics um, uh, and all the logistics of you know really shutting down a road. One of them's effectively a permanent racetrack and and the other is you know held in a place where they click their fingers and things happen right yeah yeah they're they're, there's let's let's call them the plug-in and play ones relatively um by february though we're we're on the opposite spectrum of of difficulty the presumption was that those two to be decided dates would be hyderabad and cape town once more that the latest is, and, and there's been a lot of reports that, that Hyderabad or a race in India won't happen in 2024 for Formula E. I, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure on that. I think there is a little bit more um, positivity that there could be a race in India in February. Whether that's in Hyderabad or whether that's in an alternative location, let's wait and see. But, you know, I, I'm not. I'm not convinced that a lot of these um, these reports, which I think generated from within India and the regional governments, are completely correct. I think that actually Formula E are liaising with with some of the race makers over in India and, and are reasonably confident there could be a race in India. Let's wait and see on that one. There's a lot of unknowns there. The Cape Town race, which was a great success last year, sportingly, and um, just the, the spectacle of it, unfortunately looks extremely unlikely to to be i'm genuinely um, gutted i wish i'd taken the chance and gone last year yeah yeah it was it was a great event and um but it looks like it could be consigned to a one-off let's hope not i think there's a small percentage chance that it could be reinvigorated and reanimated for for february but at this stage it It looks in good company with some uh, formula e one-offs though you know montreal moscow there's been some some cracking one-off was good yeah, I mean, it's such a shame because, you know, you can't have a this transient element of a world championship, I don't think. Um, I mean, if you've got genuinely great cities on the subs bench, which we're often told is the case, then that's fine. But I, I don't sense there are any nailed-on, glamorous plan Bs anytime soon. Um, so I, my, if you were to ask me now, I think a lot of the... The people I speak to in in and around the paddock, I think the presumption is that both of those races are very very tricky. Cape Town looks highly unlikely, so I think what will happen is a rather unspectacular double header at one other race. You know whether that's Jakarta, whether it could be Portland. I think that's what they'll do. They want to try and keep this seventeen race 
schedule for 24. Whether that's possible, I'm not sure, but it's not an easy way to do it because I think some circuits are easily given over to double headers than others. But I would think that probably we'll have at least another double header to make up for for certainly Cape Town and potentially Hyderabad. But the worst case scenario, of course, is that we get to Diria. We have this momentum of three races in two weeks. Great start to the to the championship. And then we have a fallow period like the bad old days of six or seven yeah. weeks. I mean, nobody wants that. No one wants and that. Exactly a time when Formula E should be making hay. There's no other racing on really you know there's the there's the daytona 500 and the 24 hours but essentially from an international perspective there's very little racing on then and it's exactly when formula e should be having you know fortnightly events and that looks to be in jeopardy um as we stand now um looking a bit further on we ran a story um this week about the potential of shanghai coming on the calendar on that to be decided slot at the end of may um i hear that is that that, not is it not possible to do that in february or is it just too cold there everything points to may i've not heard it been associated with anything other than may i think logistically what's that saudi arabia to china and then yeah i mean i suppose it could be but I mean, it's going to require some quality paperwork, but not the uh, beyond the wit of man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the the likelihood is is that that Shanghai will be the return for a Chinese race. They they had the option of Sanya. I don't think that's going to work for next year. There's talk of Hong Kong for the future, which is the one big positive that I hear is that some okay. of the people who put Hong Kong on from the local promoters point of view are now getting much more active after the uh, civil um, disruption that went on there in 2019. So in a similar sort of location, obviously they, the, the track effectively doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, I think I think that's what they would like to do in and around the same. It might not be the exact um, the exact configuration, but I think that that area they want to they want to utilise again. Um, it's too late for twenty four, but potentially for twenty five, then a return to Hong Kong. Imagine how great a sort of Asian double header at Hong Kong and uh, Tokyo would be. I mean, that's what oh, Formula E should yeah, be proper. in yeah. its tenth season. Um, that that's exactly what Formula E uh, should be. So I think. Looking ahead, there's still there's still some worry over some of the other races. I think the political situation in Indonesia is um, is complex. Let's say so. I'm not sure that the Jakarta um, date is completely hundred percent sacrosanct. Let's hope that we're proved wrong on that. And then I'm you know you you hear potentially Portland could have a date change as well i don't think there's any issue with not having a race in the u.s and portland but i think that date of i think it's um june the 24th or 29th sorry um that could have some flexibility in it for a week before or a week after but all of this is the big um you know the big input into into formula e operations and, and how they have to deal with that and it's a huge job but we're going to find out and the wmsc is at 19th of October we'll get a good indication of of how Formula E is positioned then but um, yeah it it could go either way we could have something similar to what we already have with perhaps one of Hyderabad and Cape Town not in that February month um, and then then we have another double header which would be fine that would be a really strong calendar so hopefully there's there's no more disruption but there's there's still an awful lot to sort out with this uh, 24 schedule 
Well, like, I don't envy them. I think it's got to be one of the most uh, difficult jobs in motorsport. So, uh, let, well, let's hope that, yeah, that the the more positive outcome of that happens. Um, Oli mentioned uh, in our interview there that he's uh, jetting off for a, a private test um, with Nissan um, the end of this week that we're recording, probably last week uh, as you listen to it. Um, uh, is this, I imagine a lot of the teams are, are out running now or about to start running now, Sam. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they most of them have actually been out since since London. There was a sort of holiday period in in August, and then a lot of the teams got active with their test and development car um, in readiness for for getting updates on on their race cars for for next season. Uh, Mahindra have been out testing um, in in the UK and in. In Spain, Jordan King did a bit before the announcement of the new drivers, and I think Nick De Vries and Edo Mortara are going to get some some track time this week. Um, Neo have been they out. They should of- run them in like um, NASCAR Primer, you know, like they used to do that in the preseason. They should they should be out in Primer. Yeah, that would, yeah, they make good a, photos. Yeah, that's that's a good little strap line, isn't it? That should that should be used yeah. definitely. Um, yeah. I, Neo have been out at Mallory Park, which. Is just tremendous, isn't it, to know that an international oh, single seater car I, I, I is. I wish I'd that. I wish I'd be able to see that. <laughs> thrashing around Mallory. That's great. It's kind of their home test track, which is great. Uh, Sergio Seto Cameron's been out there. Uh, Jaguar have been out testing <laughs> too. Well, I don't know where you the Brazil he's from, but let, let's, let's pretend he's from Rio, whatever bit he's from. They're <laughs> rocking up at Mallory Park. That's a real, that's a real culture clash, that is. It is. <laughs> Like, isn't isn't Sergio from out um, from from the north? Didn't he join us on a podcast from like in the middle of of nowhere oh, near Manaus yeah. or somewhere? I think wasn't it? He was. So, he you, you're right. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. But from, but, from, but yeah, from there mean, to the uh, bacon butty thrill of uh, Mallory Park <laughs> is, is delicious. Uh, <laughs> the uh, who else has been out? I mean, all of the the manufacturers have have been out. DS certainly. Um, we've also seen. We also know that that Porsche has has been out. I think they were out at Almira in Spain. Norman Nato got a got a few laps in in the Porsche as he readies for life at Andretti. So yeah, it's it's all active and then obviously, you know, I think there'll be a bit of a lull um in the next few weeks until everybody rocks up at Valencia and gets four crucial crucial days with their race cars. The first time that that those race cars have turned a wheel since London. So yeah, lots of lots of work to come on, but but at least they also have this um this not downtime, but they don't have the concertina time frame of last year when I think we finished at December on like the nineteenth of December or something ridiculous, and then they everybody was off to Mexico on the seventh of January. So there isn't that time pressure uh, after the Valencia test. So a little bit more preparation time for everybody with these Gen three cars, which you know a lot of the teams are still finding out um, aspects of. So yeah, it'll be a crucial four days in Valencia, and of course we'll be we'll be there reporting on the ins and outs of that test well we probably ought to actually make a return to uh, to calendar island as well because there's always been it's a the funny the sort of symbiosis between formerly and WEC, the number of uh drivers and also teams in many respects that uh, are involved in both is, has always been quite high and there are a couple of potential clashes that could be problematic what's the situation there well there are presently three clashes i mean one of them really 
is only significant, and that is the clash between the Berlin doubleheader in May with the six hours of Spa, which will happen on the Saturday of that weekend. Um, there are two other clashes which are test-related, so the, the what they call the prologue WEC test at Qatar in early March. Um, and then there's also the potential of a clash, or there is a clash with uh, the Jakarta Epri and the Le Mans test day, which happened last season and, and isn't a huge drama. The, the, all of the drivers that will be racing at Le Mans have enough experience of, of that place, so that's not a big one. But Berlin and Spa is different. If the calendars stay as they are, and I'm told that the high likelihood is that they will because WEC will not move their date, which is already ratified by the FIA, the Berlin doubleheader, I don't believe, can be moved either. Although there is more flexibility in moving something uh, Berlin than there is Spa, you would presume. Anyway, it looks like there is going to be this clash and that will affect teams massively. The, the team that probably would be affected the most is Envision Racing. They have Sebastian Buemi and Robin Freins, both of whom have factory deals with Toyota and BMW, respectively. And I'm told that they would likely have to miss at least that Saturday race because they're going to be racing at Spa. They will be contracted to race at Spa with their manufacturers, which would mean that on the face of it, Envision would have two new drivers and they would likely be rookie drivers in that car. Then you can you know, you know, can speculate who those drivers would be. I mean, off the top of my head, it would make all kinds of sense to have Tom Dillman in one of those cars, who's Jaguar's reserve and simulator driver. Um, that yeah, would that, make all that, kinds that of sense. sense. And if Jack Aitken is available, and I think Jack is doing... IMSA next season and I haven't to be honest I've not looked at the IMSA calendar yet in fact I'm not even sure if it's been defined but you know I if that does happen then Dillman and Aitken would be the obvious choices to get into those two envisions now the the interesting thing is then you know would they be in for the weekend or would Buemi and Freins hot foot it from Spa to the second race at Berlin on the Sunday. I mean, it's not... I did the journey, actually, on train last year, and it took me about three and a half hours. I'm sure they can find more glamorous uh, transport than a train, but um, that could be a situation where they, the drivers finish the Spa six hours and essentially overnight rock up at Berlin and, and get into the cars. You know, they... The question then is um, a regulatory one. You know, can that happen? And actually, is it worthwhile them doing that? When you look at the the championship and the potential of Envision, both of their drivers being in the title hunt with what we know is a very competitive car, then you'd say that probably would be the best uh, policy. So that that could be really interesting to see if that pans out the way that it could do. Um, other teams that could be affected: DS Penske, both of their drivers were uh, are driving the Peugeot now. Sofal Van Dorn has replaced Gustavo Menezes in the Peugeot Total Energies team. Um, but I've just got a feeling that that actually um, both of those drivers would prioritise Formula E. Um, so they could end up missing the Spa six hours um, and Peugeot would draft in 
um, alternative drivers. They do have a, a young driver, reserve driver, Malte Jakobsen, who's who's very good, uh, but unproven at WEC level. So that's a that's a headache potentially for for Stellantis Motorsport, the, the umbrella over that DS Penske and Peugeot axis. Um, there will be other drivers as well. You know, it, it's entirely possible Norman Nato will be will have a drive in in WEC next season. Antonio Felix da Costa currently is a driver who does both programs um you would presume that he would do Formula E and would have to forsake the spa six hours with with the Jota team uh, should he be there next season every anticipation is that he will be um and there will be there will be other drivers as well that um that are caught up in this and there's a wider debate for this isn't there you know there's two there are seven world championships in the world uh, and these two always seem to have difficulties with their calendar and um it's not for me to go into the whys and wheres. Ultimately, there are only so many weekends in the year and so many tracks and so many permutations of calendars that it's almost inevitable that, that one will clash um, every other year or whatever. And, and so it's proved. And, uh, you know, I don't think that the, the obvious solution is for the championships to just talk together and try and plan this out. I mean, well, yes, <laughs> that, that, that would seem logical. And it did happen um, in, in previous administrations with... Um, with WEC and you know I don't know if that's continued to be honest but it obviously does need some common sense between both the championships but if at the end of the day you can only put one race on on one weekend and there's no alternatives and it's it's hard to see how you can uh, get away from that but um, yeah there's going to be a big topic if if it does um, continue to be a clash and, and we expect it to be so. Yeah all the more reason I would always say for formally to go back to its original principles of running over those winter months uh, but let's not ne- drag ourselves over those coals unnecessarily um we will be back soon actually with a very special uh even more special no equally special yeah anyway special uh who have we got as our guest sam We've got new Jaguar TCS racing driver Nick Cassidy. He's going to join us um, for a podcast prior to Valencia. So looking forward to speaking to Nick. It will be, the, as far as I know, probably the first time he's, he's spoken as a, a factory Jaguar driver publicly. So it'd be interesting to see how he's integrated into the team. I know he's been at the factory in the last few weeks and he's um, started to get to know everybody uh, and just get his understanding of, of, of the move and, and how he's bedded into that team with his with his good friend Mitch Evans and um, yeah I, there, there's going to be there's not going to be a shortage of things to talk about with Nick and uh, really looking forward to that and we'll also have a, a full preview of, of Valencia and, and bring you up to date with all the news that's going on in and around that crucial test excellent well yeah I'm looking forward to catching up with Nick that's going to be a good one so uh, we'll speak to you then in the meantime keep an eye on thehighfromrace.com for all of Sam's latest news uh, well be calendar based I imagine now there's not much else uh, all the seats are filled so it's going to have to be around that um, thank you very much and goodbye The Athletic